0: the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, be always acceptable, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. Today's lesson about Lazarus and the rich man was taken from a group of parables that we've been reading in chapter 15 and 16 of Luke's gospel. Last week, for example, we'd read about the parable of the dishonest manager. Together, these parables are directed, at least these two, are directed against the sins of covetousness. Specifically, the lesson in this parable implies that the end of poverty and misery of the godly in death leads to everlasting joy, while the sinful living and the cruel pride of the rich will end in everlasting misery without hope of mercy. As we look at the details of this specific parable... We are not told that if the rich man has gained his fortune dishonestly, or if he made free with other people's money, or if he was a drunk or a glutton. We can infer, however, that he was an affluent citizen, an eminently respectable person who those in the world would probably admire, and whose portion of wealth was large. One might also infer that he spent his money, as evidenced by the description of his relationship with the poor man Lazarus, he spent his money on pleasing himself rather than others, his neighbor or in serving God. Purple, the color of his garments that he was clothed in, was in the ancient Near East considered to be a color used to signify royal dignitaries and the description of his clothing being of fine linen suggests that he wore only the best apparel that money could buy. One who feasted sumptuously every day would be considered to partake of not only wonderful food, but would also enjoy the sensual enjoyment in taking his meals. In other words, he would be a person living a life that was admired and coveted, by those who knew him and those who did not. Lazarus, however, is described as a beggar. And beggars were much more common in the ancient Near East than with us because almsgiving to the poor was directed by the Old Testament and was heeded. Psalm 41, for example, states, Blessed is the one who considers the poor in the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. Psalm 112 says, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. If we read this parable closely, we should note that Lazarus, who is covered with sores, probably probably due to malnutrition, as well as exposure to the elements, was carried by the, to the rich man's gate and then laid there, no doubt, by others. Presumably because he could not walk, and at that particular time and particular gate, he might find help from others passing by, as well as, as from the rich man who lived inside. But since the parable does not say that the rich man actually fed Lazarus, we cannot really assume that he ate anything we are only told that Lazarus desired to, be f- desired to be fed with that which fell from the rich man's table. So here we possibly have a man who may have been completely ignored except by those who brought him to the rich man's gate. And his only comfort thus may have come only from the dogs that licked his wounds. It is interesting to note that the tongues of dogs are relatively clean as compared with human saliva. This is one of the reasons that my service dog, Montera, who for any newcomers is in the back of the church, um, and it's, it's one reason that she's allowed in medical and dental examining rooms, even though these rooms may be labeled as operatories. In caring for their own wounds, The first few licks help to debride the wound, and their saliva is full of enzymes, which promote healing and pain relief. Licking also stimulates blood flow and other healing effects. But alas, that wasn't enough, for poor Lazarus alone in the world passed away. Now, we have no idea where the body of Lazarus was later buried. We only know that his soul was carried away by angels into Abraham's bosom which was believed to be an abode of rest and heavenly bliss, where the Jews believed that Abraham welcomed his children. On the other hand, we are told that the rich man died and was buried. No doubt he had a splendid funeral, and his body was placed in a costly tomb. But what about his soul? Verse 23 tells us that he is in Hades, a place reserved for the punishment of the departed, ser- ser- uh, departed spirits of the wicked. His wealth had failed him in his last moments. Now instead of Lazarus, the rich man was in torment, a permanent condition <clears throat> that we would, we would soon find out could never be changed. He praised the father Abraham to send Lazarus to comfort him but there aren't any, even any dogs to soothe the rich man's wounds. Because unlike Lazarus, whose wounds were physical, the wounds of the rich man were spiritual and cut to the soul. And as he finds out, once the soul is separated from God, there is no bridge between everlasting damnation in hell and eternal life in heaven. The separation is too great and the wages of sin must then be perpetually exacted. The rich man's final request is to have Father Abraham send Lazarus to visit his father and brothers to warn them of their impending doom. But the words of Abraham that the rich man's father and brothers have Moses and the prophets no doubt refer to the Jewish scriptures which clearly point the way to our need for obedience and trust in God. The last words of this parable have additional significance, especially for us, as we are told, those who do not hear Moses and the prophets will never be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That additional significance, of course, is Jesus Christ, who we believe was raised from the dead, and these final words of this parable are a stern warning to the religious skeptics of today. The words and stories that we read in the Old Testament give us history where we must learn both about the wrath and the mercy of God. The words of Jeremiah that we read earlier were a harbinger of punishment that the Jews must suffer for their apostasy and unbelief. Jerusalem, its sacred capital, would be given over to the Babylonians. And yet, God's orders to his prophet, Jeremiah, symbolically sealed the promise that under his mercy, the land that was purchased uh, by Jeremiah would once again be returned to God's people, the Jews. The sections of Psalm 91, read today, remind us of the merciful protection that God gives to his own people. This psalm is especially meaningful to those believers who serve in the military as they are deployed in harm's way. If we call upon God, then he will answer us. If we are truly his own, he will protect us. But our New Testament lesson from the book of Timothy warns us that like the rich man who shunned Lazarus, our greedy desires for riches can plunge us into ruin and destruction. Selfish craving for wealth and material gain can cause us to wander away from our faith in God and open a chasm that might act ultimately prove too wide to bridge. Paul encourages us to lay aside the coveting of material things and pursue the spiritual things that will bring us closer to God. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness or humility. We must look to God for the sustenance that he provides for us, and use the riches that we receive for his purpose. Let us not set set our sights on riches for our own sake, but for the sake of God and his kingdom on earth. Finally, unlike the rich man and his family in today's Old Testament lesson, we have not only Moses and the prophets, but we also have the example of Jesus Christ who because of his love promises eternal life to those who follow and obey him. The story of Lazarus and the rich man is the most fitting lesson for us to read this week just before our joint service with Redeemer and the picnic in the park that follows next Sunday. We may or may not encounter the homeless homeless at this event, but if we do, we have the opportunity to meet and minister to them. I encourage all of you to take part in this event, if you possibly can. While homelessness often is drug-related, there are many other causes, and therefore we should not judge the misfortune of others. We should only listen and try to minister to their needs in the best way that we can. It is our compassion and our attitude of love toward others that, with God's help, are important. Whether we succeed or fall in our ministry to individuals of this group, Christ sets the example for us, and by following it in our lives, we can, with his help, do more than we could ever imagine. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.